Welcome to your Daily Cup of Inspiration podcast with Deanna Hobbs, founder of Empowering Everyday Women Ministries, broadcasting live from our headquarters studios in Buffalo, New York. Visit us online at empoweringeverydaywomen.org. In today's inspiration, which is day 12 of our ongoing unedited series, we will explore how you can be strong and mighty in God, but inside still feel pathetic sad, distressed, miserable, insignificant, insufficient, and just plain old pitiful. But God has a way of stepping into our raw, unedited pity parties and reminding us of who we are, restoring us, and breathing new life into our circumstances. If you're feeling low, this word today will bless your life. Welcome to this year's Saturday, October 3rd, 2020 weekend edition of your Daily Cup of Inspiration podcast. It's Deanna Hobbs here, bringing you the biggest smiles and the warmest greetings ever. I pray you're enjoying your weekend. And because I know how busy weekends can be with us catching up on things, I'm especially honored that you've chosen to press play and be a part of the final three days of our unedited series. This has been such a beautiful time of sharing. So maybe you're doing some chores, running errands, or setting aside some special time to sit and replenish. But wherever you are and whoever you are, my heart is rejoicing and I thank God that you're here. So many of you from our global Daily Cup community have been hanging in there with me and tuning in via Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Player.fm, YouTube, and so many other places wherever podcasts are heard. And it's been an extra special time for all of us here at the ministry. The praise reports have just touched our hearts and moved our souls. Bree from Houston, Texas, wrote into the ministry and said, Dear Deanna, this isn't a long message, but I wanted to share with you that I considered taking my life. The battle with depression was too much, but I listened to your unedited series and decided instead to give Jesus my heart. I know God loves me and I have a reason to live. Thank you for this series. Oh my, 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 my. That just sent me to a place of overwhelming gratitude to God. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Bree, I'm celebrating your life, your salvation, and thanking the Lord for showing you his love through this broadcast. We just need a crazy praise break right here. and inspiring testimonies like this remind us that God is transforming lives through this ministry. We are grateful for your support that keeps these broadcasts available online as a free resource to help others grow. If you are being blessed and you believe in our mission to share the gospel, sow a seed of any size at empoweringeverydaywomen.org donate. Thank you for your generosity. All right, let's begin day 12 of our unedited series with a prayer. God, you are just amazing. You have sent this person here to press play because you have a special tailor-made word for them. Please speak through me. Use me as you see fit. I am totally surrendered to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So when I was in the hospital... The medical team had to give me very strong anti-seizure medications to stabilize me and sedate me. 
I remember how during this process, when I was sedated, I felt trapped in this dark, lonely dream state, for lack of a better way to describe it. And Kenya was there by my bedside and he told me I was just out, didn't move, didn't respond, nothing. But inwardly, my mind was very active when they had me on these strong drugs. I just felt like I was somewhere lost in darkness and fighting hard to return to myself. But no matter how hard I tried and fought, I couldn't get back. And I did not like that one bit. The drugs had this strong hallucinogenic effect on me. So while I was stuck in that dark, lonely place, I saw these scary looking creatures. For example, I might just see a big pair of red lips and huge teeth. It was weird. Or I would just see eyes or hear a strange, deep voice or multiple voices all at once creepy laughter. I'd see some ghoulish monster or somebody calling my name in an echoey voice. And all these creatures looked like they were in 3D. It was trippy and terrifying. It was like being trapped in a horror fantasy. You know, drugs that doctors have to give to patients in the hospital to help stop seizures and stabilize them can also have some pretty unpleasant side effects. And hallucinations were one of those side effects for me. So I just felt trapped in this alternate dark reality like nobody was there but me. Of course, I know that God was there, but at the time, I couldn't feel his presence. And when I did regain consciousness, there was a time when I was nonverbal and nearly catatonic, and I felt trapped still. I could hear Kenya talking to me, but couldn't move anything. And at times, I just felt hopeless, like giving up, like the fight wasn't worth it. It was too hard. And then the seizure activity increased, and... I had two dozen seizures. It was devastating to my brain and body. And during a seizure, I couldn't breathe, right? And some of those would last a while and I would be partially conscious. So I felt like somebody was suffocating me, choking me. And although I'm a servant of Christ and I've seen God work wonders and do awesome things, in those moments, I just felt hopeless. I felt pitiful. I had Periods of feeling sorry for myself, being in the hospital for days and nothing was improving, just getting worse. You know, you don't have to be going through an experience like mine to feel intense loneliness or to be stuck in a dark place or to feel hopeless. Many people who struggle with mental health issues or are grieving a loss or have survived some unspeakable tragedy and are dealing with post-traumatic stress or just don't know how to process hard things have felt intensely alone in their struggle and hopeless as if nobody understands the depth of their sorrow. And in my travels nationally and internationally, I've met so many amazing people and had conversations with them, some that I still remember to this day. And I learned that trials and challenging issues in general can be deeply isolating for people. And we often feel like we're the only ones dealing with that, you know? And that's why I think this unedited series has been so powerful. Our ministry team has received so many responses from people who now feel less alone in their struggle. They didn't know it was okay to unedit themselves and say, hey, I'm struggling. I'm going through it. Sometimes people you wouldn't expect to be struggling are secretly struggling. Like yesterday, I told you that my nurse in the hospital who was calming me down through a panicking episode shared her battle with depression and anxiety. Who knew? 
There are nurses, doctors, mental health professionals, Bible teachers, pastors, first ladies, mentors, and folks who are on fire for the kingdom who struggle day to day. I've been behind the scenes at ministry conferences, in green rooms, at television stations, at award shows, in the small back rooms where everybody isn't on. They don't have their public face on and they struggle. They have issues, problems, pain, troubles. And one thing I know for sure is that even though we serve God, we're not God. Only he is strong and mighty, as I've been reiterating throughout this series. Only he is perfect. Only he doesn't suffer with the trials, problems, and issues that every human faces. But it's almost as if we've gotten this idea in our heads that we're supposed to be superhuman. Nope. We're human with supernatural power living in us, but that power does not reprogram us in the sense that we become robotic with no feelings and emotions. As long as we live in our flesh, we will have fleshly struggles. Amen. There is a dichotomy that exists within us. Dichotomy means dividing in two. So we're split right down the middle. There are contradictory impulses that exist within us. There's a war going on inside us between our sin nature and our divine nature. And Paul captures the dichotomy of man brilliantly in Romans 7. It's just a battle, like it or not. Contradictory thoughts, feelings, and attitudes exist in the same person. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, we are equipped to fight. Let's be clear on that. The word of God, the sword of the spirit is our weapon. It works. But we have to use it because, again, it's a battle to be sure. A prime example of this battle, this dichotomy, this pitifulness and powerfulness coexisting in the same person is found in 1 Kings 19. Now, we cannot go through the unedited series and not talk about the righteous prophet Elijah when he got scared and depressed when the reigning queen of Israel had a hit out on his head. Now, before Elijah sank into a deep depression, we see the highlight of his ministry on top of Mount Carmel, right? He killed 450 prophets of Baal in 1 Kings 18 and 40. But immediately after that great victory and triumph, he ran for his life in 1 Kings 19 and 1 through 3. He ran all the way from Mount Carmel into the wilderness of Beersheba and sat under a juniper tree, just sulking and feeling sorry for himself. And Elijah said, I have had enough, Lord. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. Elijah wanted to leave this earth, not just because Jezebel wanted to kill him, because think about it. If Elijah were so concerned about preserving his life, then it wouldn't make sense for him to ask God to let him die. So the prospect of death in and of itself wasn't what got him to this place. He tells us what he feels in this unedited moment of self-pity in verse 10. Elijah said to God, and I'm reading in the New Living Translation, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. 
So he felt alone and hopeless, like his efforts weren't making any difference, like he was fighting a losing battle against this powerful queen and nobody else was in the fight with him. In verse 10, we see that Elijah assumed wrongly that every single prophet of God had been killed and he thought it was just him. Wrong and all, that's what he believed. But there was this man, Daily Cut family, named Obadiah in 1 Kings 18. And his name means servant of the Lord. Now, here's the interesting thing about Obadiah. He was the chief administrator in the household of Ahab, Jezebel's husband. So Obadiah was working in the administration that was killing and oppressing God's people. But still, Obadiah's loyalty was to the Most High God. First Kings 18 and 4 says that Obadiah took a hundred prophets and hid them in two separate caves, 50 in each cave, and gave them food to eat and water to drink to protect them from Jezebel. So everybody wasn't on board with Jezebel and what she was doing. But because she was highly dangerous and ruthless, the true prophets of the Most High God, sadly, were pitiful and scared and reduced to hiding in caves. And Elijah had been bold up until this time and courageous, and he openly called out the prophets of Baal and shamed them, then killed them. And now here he was, a shell of his former self. He was so powerful in God and so pitiful at the same time. I am so glad this story is not edited out of scripture because it gives us a real clear picture of what it looks like to be human and fighting an intense battle. There are moments when you feel like the odds are stacked so high against you that no matter what you do, you just can't win for losing. Have you ever gone through something so difficult that you couldn't even play it off? You couldn't put on your church face and you couldn't hide how messed up you were about it. Like the early days of me getting home, my emotions were even more difficult to manage than they are now because emotions do need to be managed. Otherwise, they'll take over everything. And mine took over. So after everything was fresh, I had to relearn social interaction with my own family. I didn't know what certain social cues meant or what nonverbal cues meant. So I would think they were mad when they weren't. I would take the most benign, simple statements wrong. And then I would break down crying like, why did you say that? Why did you do that? And everyone would be thinking, do what? And so the kids would have to explain what things meant in Kenya too. And it was stressful. And I felt like I was always crying, just pitiful. I was in a fragile state. And Elijah was fragile and wanting to die and just feeling like his ministry was over. He didn't understand how to get over this hump. And so he went into a cave and stayed there. And this, to me, feels like that white flag of surrender moment, doesn't it? Everybody else was hiding in caves. I might as well hide in the cave and wave a white flag and do the same thing, too. But then the word of the Lord came to Elijah and asked, What are you doing here, sir? Why are you in this cave? Why are you here in this dark place? Get up. That's what God told him. He told him to get up. 
and go stand by the mountain. When you know God and you have a relationship with him, the word of the Lord will interrupt your pity party. You might have a pitiful moment or two and you don't have to edit out your pity party. No, we all have them. We all get sad. We all feel broken sometimes. We all feel weak. We all think we're alone from time to time. We all believe it's worse than it is on occasion. And we throw ourselves a pity party. And the devil is the only one who accepts that invitation to the pity party. Oh, he loves them. And he gets you drunk on the bitter wine of sorrow and feeds you sour grapes. He puts on his favorite pity party playlist for you. It's full of dark, depressing songs and a bunch of lies. And you just sing along drunk on sorrow and tell him, you're right, devil. I'm always going to be stuck in this valley. And you stumble around the room drunk on sorrow. You're right. It's not worth it. And I should give up and nobody understands me and I'm so alone and woe is me. And the devil loves it when he gets you in that vulnerable place. He just keeps feeding you more lies and saying you're right and giving you bad advice. Ain't no use in praying. You might as well quit that. Why are you reading the Bible? It's not working. God doesn't hear you and you just eat it up. And then the devil turns the volume up on the sad songs louder and louder. Oh, but then... You hear a little knock at the door of your heart. And on the other side of that door, who is it? It's the Lord showing up to crash your pity party, throw the devil out and ask, what are you doing here? Get up, get yourself cleaned up. Come on, turn that pity party playlist off. Then God changes the atmosphere. He replaces the lies of the enemy with the promises in his word. He reminds you of who you are and sobers you up. And that's what God did to Elijah. He crashed his pity party being held in that dark cave and told Elijah to get up and go and stand by the mountain. God said, I want to talk to you. And God did just that. He spoke to Elijah in a still small voice in verse 12. Elijah hid his face from God's voice. We don't know exactly why he did that. The Bible doesn't tell us. We could speculate, of course, but we do know that this isn't Elijah's typical response to the voice of God. And then Elijah repeated his former complaint. I'm the only one, God. It's just me. He was still a little drunk from his pity party. He, he hadn't sobered all the way up yet. But you know what God did? God gave him an assignment anyway and told him to go and anoint some folks. This is so important. While Elijah was pitiful and hiding from the voice of God, the Lord commissioned him with his pitiful self to go and anoint somebody, to go and carry on the ministry, to go and be used of God, to do the will of God. Because even though he still felt pitiful within him, himself, Elijah was still powerful in God. Somebody needs to know that you're still powerful in God. There's that dichotomy we talked about earlier. See it pitiful and powerful, hiding from God and still hearing God, feeling useless, but actually being useful to the kingdom. Because see, your feelings will lie to you and tell you it's over and tell you you're hopeless and tell you you're better off dead. But when you belong to God, despite that dichotomy that exists within you, there's a spiritual override. The power of the Holy Ghost will show up and override your feelings and emotions. The pitiful part of you will say, but the enemy's attacking me. But the power of the Holy Ghost that lives in you responds, but no weapon formed against you shall prosper. That spiritual override will pull you up out of that venue where your pity party is being 
held, which in Elijah's case was a cave, and cause your emotions to be subject to the authority of Christ. Pitiful, Elijah said, I'm all alone. But that spiritual override kicked in and the voice of God said to him, Elijah, you're not alone. I have 7,000 others in Israel who have never bowed down to Baal or kissed him. God's got an army of soldiers who won't bow down, who might bend, but we won't break, who might cry for a little while, but we know that weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. You might be down now, but you won't stay down for long. In Isaiah 43 and 2, God promised, when you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. This makes me think about the three Hebrew boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who were thrown in that fiery furnace for refusing to bow down to the golden image Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And Nebuchadnezzar got so angry with these three men, he commanded that the furnace be turned up seven times hotter than usual. Somebody listening is under intense attack. And even though Nebuchadnezzar, just like Jezebel, pursued these men of God and wanted to kill them for refusing to bow, it didn't work. King Nebuchadnezzar was amazed when he looked into the fire in Daniel 3 and 25 and said, Lo, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire and they have no hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the son of God. Listen, the same God who was in the fire with the Hebrew boys and loosed them and made sure they were not consumed, who visited Elijah in a cave and pulled him up out of that depression, will also visit you in your affliction. The one who pulled me up out of a hospital bed when doctors didn't know what to do for me is pulling you up out of this valley. I'm telling you what I know. Even when you're having that raw, unedited, pitiful moment. I know that God loves crashing pity parties and invading those deeply vulnerable spaces. When you're hiding your face, when you're running from your troubles, when you're sitting in darkness, when you're feeling all alone, when you get sick and tired of being sick and tired, he enters your place of grief and struggle and loneliness and sadness, your pitiful and pathetic place and whispers in a still small voice. First Peter 5 and 10 which is what I'm stirring into your cup of inspiration. He says, and after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself, oh, he's going to do it personally, restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. As you drink down the contents of your cup, God is stepping into that raw, unedited moment of self-pity, defeat, doubt, worry, sadness, hopelessness, and frustration in your hospital room, in your bedroom, in that dark cave, and he's replacing self-pity with his power, and God is going to restore some things in your life, even if you feel pitiful. He sent me to tell you that he is still powerful within you, and that's all that matters, so get up. Arise, there's still work for you to do, and God's anointing power is on your life, and He's overriding every lie of the enemy and reminding you that you're more than a conqueror through Him. Now let's pray. 
God, I pray for this, my sister, this, my brother. Satan wants to isolate them and make them believe that no one understands that they are alone in this struggle and that they'll be defeated. But I thank you that the same power that resurrected Jesus from the dead is alive in them. And that resurrecting power is overriding every attack of the enemy, every defeated thought and coming against every lie. I rejoice for their restoration and for how your promises will unfold as you breathe new life into their situation. In Jesus' name, we thank you for it now. Amen. Your daily cup of inspiration has been brought to you by Empowering Everyday Women Ministries, where we fuel your faith every day. For more information, log on to yourdailycupofinspiration.com.